Hey there, I'm Kevin Daisy. And I'm Eric Olson. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. All right, we are live. Everyone tuning in on LinkedIn and YouTube. Welcome to another episode of the Managing Partners Podcast. I am joined today by a special guest, Vince McKnight. Vince, thanks so much for having uh, Arsha be on the show with me today and sharing your story, your background. I'm sure the listeners will be excited to hear what you have to share today. So introduce yourself on a personal level. I like to hear about a little bit of personal things first, where you live, what you like to do, maybe some some background, where you're from, and then we'll get into some business questions about the firm and, and how you guys operate. All right, fair enough. I was born in Washington, D.C., where I am right now. I'm a native Washingtonian, and they say we're rare, but I don't know. I know a lot of people who were born here, and I was educated in uh, in Washington, and then I went to Brown University for undergraduate, University of Pennsylvania for law school, and I've been practicing primarily in the Washington metropolitan area my, my entire life, except that now my practice is more of a national practice. You know, I'm married to the, the very wonderful... Uh, Judge, uh, Administrative Judge Cynthia McKnight, who's uh, a, a judge at the EEOC, Administrative Judge over there, and we have three sons, and and they're all uh, they're all grown. I do. Let's see, hobbies, hobbies, hobbies. I have two <laughs> dogs. I have a German Shepherd, and I have a poodle, and they occupy a lot of my time. And I do a lot of historical reading about Washington, and I'm a jazz fanatic. And every once in a while, I pick up the guitar and try to play that a little bit too. So. Um, that's basically who I am and what I do. I love that. That sounds awesome. So how's it being married to a judge? I don't know. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, when she became a judge, I, people were joking that whether we had to genuflect when she came into the room, but uh, not much has really changed. She's she's really great and uh, she loves what she does. And so it's, it's, it's all good. That's awesome. I love it. Okay. So let's get in. Not far from you. I'm in Virginia Beach and DC is Maybe three, three and a half. It depends on traffic, of course. But we we try to visit fairly often when we can. And so you're just just down the way from us. Let's talk about. I was was telling you, I was just there, and I hadn't been here for ten years, and uh, it's really grown quite a bit. And we we like Virginia Beach a whole lot, and it was uh, a great time there. Maybe about two weeks ago. Yes, that's really cool that you were here recently. And yeah, there's a lot going on here. A lot of changes. A lot of new things. Even more coming. We have a sportsplex coming toward the ocean front. Uh, Pharrell Williams is potentially start opening up a uh, in like a surf park. Yeah, so check that out. That's going to be. I'm not sure when when that project's kicking off, but Pharrell's behind that, and he's been doing a lot with the city. So it's really really cool to see. So we'll definitely want to have you back. Tourism for the city. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your firm. I, I've looked into uh, your firm a little, but of course I like to hear it from you. And uh, very interesting stuff. It looks like a. a fairly large firm and spread out across the the nation. But as far as maybe a quick overview on the firm and kind of the key focus areas, and then, you know, we'll, we'll shift into kind of, you know, your day to day, what you focus on, what your expertise are. Sure. Sanford Heisley Sharp is a firm located, geez, we have, we've grown so much since I've been here. We have about 50 lawyers and we're in New York, Washington, Baltimore, Nashville, and uh, San Diego. And one of the primary focuses of the firm is uh, employment uh, discrimination. And we represent, you know, 
many high-level executives and partners in law firms who are claiming that they have suffered pay discrimination, sexual harassment, or, or things like that. We also have a whistleblower group, and we do a lot of, of whistleblower actions in the various agencies. We can talk about that a little bit more because that's what I do. And then we do uh, financial cases involving pensions that aren't behaving properly or other financial mismanagement when, say, elder elderly people are being cheated out of the money by financial, you know, advisors. And we have a, a criminal sexual abuse unit, and we, we represent the uh, victims of sexual abuse. And so we do a, a wide range of, of things, and uh, we work on teams. And, you know, just because you're in Washington doesn't mean you're only working in Washington. You might be working on lawyers with lawyers from other, all around the country on different projects. And so it's an exciting place. And the people here are, are very committed and dedicated to, to representing people who are in trouble in these specific areas. So I assume you guys bring in probably whoever's the best from whatever team, from whatever office you have is, you know, I guess best to represent or be part of that, that effort. Well, one of the things that's exciting actually about the, uh, the attorneys here is that the strength of the attorneys in terms of their backgrounds, educational strengths, and other strengths across the board. It's not like we have very many weak links in the lineup, if you will. And so that, that's important. Meaning we're working at a, we work at a plaintiff's firm. We only represent individuals against various corporations or business interests. But most of the people, if not all of the people at the law firm could be working at large you know, big law firms on the other side if they wanted to, but they're actually committed to this side of the fence and representing, say, you know, women who have been victims of sexual harassment or discrimination, for example, or other gender-related issues. And then, for my part, representing whistleblowers who are bringing information to the government about some fraud that has occurred that's depriving, ultimately, the tax um, payers of their of their money by cheating the public fisc. And so everybody is kind of committed to this side of the fence and very energetic. And I've, I've had a great time working with everybody here. Well, it sounds like an amazing place, amazing team, uh, mission, if you will. And so I wanted to learn more about, because me personally, I'm not as familiar with the whistleblower side. And I, I saw that's really where you specialize and that you kind of help team for that. And so tell us a little bit more about that and what that involves uh, to whatever you can share, of course. How did you get into that, I guess? And, and, oh. and where, <laughs> how did you, you know, where did you start in the, in, the, in the law side of things and how did you get into that? Boy, I, um, <laughs> that's a lot, but I, I started in practice actually working for big law for a couple of years. I was uh, actually representing employers at a big law law firm for about two years. And then I switched side and went to a, a plaintiff's personal injury law firm. And I did a whole lot of regular personal injury medical malpractice. And I also represented railroad workers. For about 12 years, I was representing railroad workers in Washington, metropolitan area, Philadelphia, and New York who had been injured on the job. And that took me into federal court quite often. And while that practice developed, I started getting other railroad employees, primarily Amtrak, who had uh, problems on the job. So it turned into wrongful discharge and other types of claims like that. And out of that came my first whistleblower case. And somebody came forward with a case alleging that the uh, 
procurement associated with the Acela train set when it was first being built was being done improperly. And that was actually my first ever fraud case. And I think what's interesting about that case is that was a Totten v. Bombardier, is that I had to go up to the D.C. Circuit to argue that case on more than one occasion. And on one of those occasions, Judge John Roberts, who's now Justice John Roberts, was on that panel, and he was the lead judge. And also um, Judge Merrick Garland was also on that panel. And uh, Judge Roberts and Judge Rogers ruled against me, and uh, Judge Garland went with me in the dissent. So uh, it was funny that uh, <laughs> years later, because we, we, lost, we lost that appeal, which is interesting, the Congress actually changed the law and adopted the viewpoint that Judge Garland and I were pushing. So I, I, I ran into him years later, and we joked that we were right all along. And uh, (laughs) so my life intersected with both Justice Roberts and Judge Garland, who is, of course, now the Attorney General of the United States. And that's that again, that's a Washington story. And that's what launched my career in representing whistleblowers. Yeah, I was hooked in there. And uh, then after that, there were some um, clients from Texas who called and they were worked at a small company that had been fined for selling Chinese products to the government. There was a law in place, it's still in place, that uh, if you're selling products to the government, they have to come from what they say call a designated country, one that we have a trade agreement with, so that there's some reciprocity so both governments can make some money off of it. And we don't have a trade agreement with China and we didn't have one back then. So they have been fined for selling Chinese products and yet they looked around and a lot of their competitors were doing the same thing. Uh, a lot of big companies, big box stores like, you know, Staples and things like that. So oh. they came to me from Texas, actually. And uh, I represented them in a series of actions against these other office supply sellers to the government for selling Chinese products to the government. And then that launched me in another direction in the whistleblower <laughs> world. Wow. Interesting. So uh, it's, you know, my, my thought goes to how, if, I, if I'm one of these whistleblowers, how, you know, who do I look to? Who do I, who do I search for? How do I find you or your firm? And how many firms like you are in the marketplace? And- when I first started <laughs> and back in uh, 1995, I went to a conference uh, of the lawyers who do this. And there were maybe 30 to 40 <laughs> of us at the conference. And we were at a very small hotel on uh, DuPont <laughs> Circle. And the last conference I attended, there were closer to four to 500 lawyers who now do this across the United States. And so it's a highly specialized area, but we all stay in close contact with each other. Whistleblowers are interesting people and they tend toward the geeky, if you will. And what I find is that they know everything about you when they call you up. I I think they've been living with- They've done a whole lot of research and, you know, they'll, they'll come and say, I told you that I went to Brown university. And so I, I remember a client once saying just in the course of conversation, they say something like, well, you know, I was in Providence, Rhode Island back around the same time that you were. So, you know, they dig into your background. They look wow. at what you've done, what your experience is. These, if you think about fraud, I guess a good place to start is to consider the fact that the United States government is probably the the biggest customer of goods and services on the planet. And they buy everything from 
food to clothing to buildings to shovels to trucks to cars and everything like that so of course there's a lot of opportunities there for um, shenanigans in the procurement process and so you start with that and but each one of these um, areas has its own regulations the Department of Defense regulations are different from the healthcare regulations, are different from the agriculture regulations, are different from, <laughs> you see, so everybody has their own regulations and, and rules about how the contracting process should proceed. And, and in order to make it work, we have to delve into not just what happened, but what are the regulations and how were they violated and what happened here and did the government lose money. So we do a lot of work before we take the case into the government and present it to the government. And then it's presented, this is a, probably a key factor. We file things under seal. So no one knows that the case has been filed, not even the uh, company, and it remains under seal for a period of years. And during that period, we're usually working, you know, hand in glove with the government attorneys and the other investigators to answer hmm. questions and to further investigate the case before the, uh, the, the company that's been charged with fraud um, even knows about it. And so it, it is, and it's all, all secret. So most of what I do, I can't even talk about. And uh, yeah. so, but it is fun sometimes because I've worked on cases where parts of the case have become public. And I know that that's a case I'm working on, but I still can't talk about it because it's still under seal <laughs> and hasn't finished yet. And that's another part of the game. I think sometimes people say, how can you work on something that you can't talk about for like four years? And But that's that's our life as, a, uh, as fraud attorneys. That is uh, very interesting stuff. So, and I assume, so back to like these people doing research on you and being very well informed and know you better than you know yourself almost. I assume it's... Uh, they're being very selective and they're probably not even sure if they come forward or disclose any of this. Right. So it's, they probably have. <laughs> that's, that's, not... <laughs> actually, that's actually, that's actually very, very true. I've had people, for example, who have called me and used aliases for the first two or three conversations before finally they tell me who they are just to oh, wow. sort of um, get to know me a little bit better and decide whether they want to sign up with me. And then they eventually say, well, my real name is blah, blah, blah. I've actually had that happen. And then Well, they're protecting I, themselves, I guess, and make sure that you wouldn't go call someone and say, "Hey." Well, you know, know, I couldn't do that anyway because of attorney client yeah. privilege. But but <laughs> yeah. the point is is that that's the kind of call you might get. I've had other calls where people have no monetary interest at all. They just want they they know something that might be of national security interest or something like that, and they've actually said, "Will you get this information to somebody at the government. I've had that happen once or twice. And so I, I'll, I'll call up somebody and say, look, somebody just called me and told me this and you got to look into it. Uh, and they say, who? I say, I'm not allowed to tell you. And so, you know, this world of whistleblowing leads you into all kinds of intrigue, possible national security issues, a lot of cybersecurity matters, high tech matters. Nowadays, there's a lot going on out there. And if you think about the explosion of the internet and artificial intelligence and how computers now dominate our lives. And then you think <laughs> about all the things that can possibly happen and all the things that might go wrong there. And, you know, we find ourselves in, in that space from time to time. And then other times it's just a garden variety fraud. Somebody is just cheating the government on the price that it's charging. It's just simple. You know, um, I told the government I was going to charge you know, say $15 because my costs per item were 12 
dollars and I'm only making three dollars profit and the truth of the matter is my cost per item is six so I'm actually making way more profit than the government would have allowed just a simple lie about the price it can be something like that or it can be very 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 complicated and hard to find because you have a contract that's 70 pages long and somewhere in there they're burying a 1% markup or a 2% markup, but the multi-line deal. Think of your tax forms or something like that. And they're building things in. And at the end of the day, when the government thought it was only um, paying, say, 7% profit, it's really paying 20, 30, 40% profit. So, you know, fraud is by definition hard to find and in many respects, very sophisticated. And so you have to sort of put on your hat, roll up your sleeves and dig down into the weeds in order to, to find things. So you're Half of your job is being a detective. It sounds pretty interesting to me. It sounds like a good movie, too. I want to say, have you seen, is it the movie The Accountant? Uh, have you ever seen that movie? I haven't seen it. I, people always ask me about the various whistleblower movies. I, you know, I tend to stay away from movies that, that involve something that I do, right? I look yeah. at other stuff. But, uh, yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, I don't watch any digital marketing movies. So, you know, I, don't know I want something any. I lean toward, you know, science fiction and something that's going to make me laugh, something completely, totally silly, you know, or, uh, you know, some, some Star Wars thing in another galaxy or something. And then I'm, that's good. Far, far me. away. Far, far away. That's what I'm looking for. Well, so that's so it only seems like you're going to probably get busier with the way things are and online and all the. Well, think about the, it, right? Yeah. The government just uh, released trillions of dollars into the economy for, you know, the pandemic relief programs on many levels. And so mm -hmm. we, this is sort of the, uh, the biggest release of funds into the economy, perhaps in history. And they're already seeing all kinds of, you know, fraud associated with the dollars. For example, in the Paycheck Relief Program, PPP, you see people that have made up companies, made up information. And then I, in the field here, we joke and call it Lamborghini Man. I don't know why, but at least three <laughs> or four of these characters <laughs> have bought Lamborghinis with the money that they got. So we call it Lamborghini Man is out here. And, and oh, but wow. there, there are more sophisticated people than that out there who are also doing things. There have been, Kate, there have been claims of a, a fake PPE substandard PPE, you know, masks and everything else like that that have happened. There have been smuggling cases, <clears throat> misbranded cases, oh, wow. all kinds of fraud. So whenever there's a lot of money, there's somebody around trying to figure out a way to scam it. And so, you know, we're going to be very busy, I would think, in, in the coming years with these, the fraud associated with the relief programs. That's a good point. And, and they wanted to release it as fast as possible. So there was a, you know, a lot of checks and balances. They had to skip a lot of that. Just get well, the money into people's hands. Think about it. They went to, they, they sort of, they delegated a lot of the authority, for example, to the, the individual banks, banks yeah. to, uh, to give out these funds. And so, you know, you can, again, once again, uh, think about all the places where something can go, go wrong there. And so I would imagine that as we're getting better at it and the controls are getting tighter, but <clears throat> we have human beings in human error. And then we have a lot of money floating around out there. So there, there surely is fraud. Yeah, I can see a banker saying, hey, uh, friend, you want some money? I can just set some things up and we'll, well, we'll the, get you set up. <laughs> the first uh, release of money, the, one of the complaints was, is that the uh, 
banks sort of con connected with the best customers and the best customers got the relief before everybody else. And so some of the smaller businesses who didn't have some of those well-established, well-heeled relationships were slow to get funds and they actually needed money. So they actually changed some of the regulations to make sure that the flow of money got down to Main Street, if you will. And uh, you remember there were some, I'm sure you read in the paper, there were some very, very large corporations who had lots and lots of money and didn't really need it who yeah. didn't do anything illegal but they applied for and received you know millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of um, support under these programs so you know again the effort was to get the money out there quickly it seems to have been successful based on some of the projections that people are making for the um, economy this year but there's still a lot of money floating around and whenever there's a lot of money floating around there's a lot of fraud follows close on field yeah, you know, I know that uh, some companies came forward and, and returned the money or, or gave it back that they didn't need it. So that was, I'm sure a lot <laughs> did not do that. So, uh, and then as far as the bank, like I remember for years and years uh, running my business. Yeah, I didn't go to the bank and get lines of credit and I didn't, you know, I just kind of used the bank for basic stuff. And because I just, I didn't want debt. I didn't want anything like that in my business. And I always had these entrepreneurs that I knew, mentors, like, no, you need to get to know your bank. You need to get lines of credit. You need to build them if you need them or not. Because when you build that relationship and you need those funds, you'll be set up and ready to go if you need to grow your business or whatever. <clears throat> and so I, I did that over the years. And I will say, yeah, I would assume people that have a relationship with their bank and have call on their cell phone right away and they help them out. Uh, you had those lines of credit. You had that credibility. If you are listening and you don't have a relationship with your bank, you probably want to work on that. Not to say that that's fair for anybody, mm -hmm. but it is going to happen that way. Yeah, it's you good know, business. So. It, it would be good business to do that. You know, to, yeah. I mean, everybody should, you know, it's just like you want to have a doctor, you want to have a dentist, you want to have an accountant, you want to have a banker. You know, there's certain things that yeah. you want to have in terms and of a lawyer. support. And a lawyer, perhaps, you know, yeah, yeah. Remember that you want to have a lawyer, but just so, don't call him a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think that it's, I really enjoy representing whistleblowers. They're all very smart, interesting people. And I feel honored that they came forward and decided to share this secret with me and entrusted me with the challenge of uh, bringing this in and retrieving, you know, the money for the, for the government in whatever program it might be. And the whistleblowing programs have been some of the most successful programs the government has ever had in terms of corporate compliance. The False Claims Act has really worked very, very well. The uh, Now they have a whistleblower program at the SEC. They have an IR, IRS whistleblower program. They have, um, geez, they have one that they just passed for money laundering. So they're finding that the business world and corporate world has become so complex that the only way they can really get to the bottom of whether corporations are being good corporate citizens is if a whistleblower comes forward and says, hey, I was in the room and, you know, we know we weren't supposed to be doing this, but the we were ordered by the manager to to pad this bill and and we did it. And it's we've been making an extra seven to ten million dollars a month, you know, because of this uh, little thing that we've been doing here. So, you know, you need people to come forward so they can guide the government to the problem. Otherwise, how's the government going to find it? We're talking about a multinational corporations that have hundreds of millions of dollars in resources, and then they have 
great law firms that can defend them. If you just come knocking on the door and say, hey, can we look at your books? You're going to have <laughs> about 15 suits telling you no. And so it'll take you a long time to even get to the information. And so, you know, because of the modern dynamics of litigation and how difficult it is to even litigate against large companies, whistleblowers have been the, the key to uncovering, you know, corporate malfeasance. And I think it's going to continue that way for a while. Interesting. So this is a, uh, I got two, two more questions actually. Um, well, I got two questions I was supposed to get to. I just haven't asked them because I've been interested in the conversation. So a couple of questions I want to get to, but before that, I'll ask the, the final questions I was going to ask you originally. What, you know, I would say, you know, what trends do you see that impact you, uh, your firm or your practice areas that you see either as it could be economic can be changes with with things that are happening, uh, any positive or negative. Well, what do you what do you kind of see happen in the next few years that may be good or bad for your industry? I think, well, there that, actually it's, it's a wonderful question. There are a lot of trends. I think about for a moment that the we are on the verge of an emergence of a, an entirely new economy, if you will, from Amazon to you know, Google to how, how we buy goods and services, everything cryptocurrency. cryptocurrency. We have, now we have medical treatment online and all kinds of things. So telehealth. Yeah. Yeah. So everything now is changing. And with that change, you know, come problems sometimes. And so right now, for example, I know in Europe and across the world, they are looking into ways to better control the flow of information, your personal data and things like that throughout the internet. They're trying to control fraud better that way. And whereas in the United States, we sort of have a loose confederation of agencies that are sort of looking after business in general and other things like that, consumer issues. But it's getting to the point where perhaps, uh, you know, internet businesses and enterprises may need their own agency, for example, to monitor the special concerns associated with doing business on the internet. And then you take the intersection of where the internet meets Wall Street. And so people are investing in these companies and what's the flow of information and do you really know what you're getting? And are they telling you the truth about the metrics of the company and how they're earning money? So these are all new horizons <laughs> that are being created by this new emerging world that we're, we're part of right now. And the pandemic, I think, put everything on steroids because now we've learned that we can do what we're doing right now. We mm -hmm. can work yep. virtually. <laughs> we don't have to go into the office. All kinds of things are again happening. The world is changing and then change is good. And then change brings new problems, new issues for us to address. And so I, just like I was telling you earlier about, you know, uh, the, uh, the stimulus programs and things like that and opportunities for people to steal. You know, you yeah. also have to think about, if you talk about gender discrimination, look at most colleges now, the, the population of most colleges is more than 50% female. And so, you know, the same thing's happening in the law schools and the medical schools and things like that. So the number of women who are qualified to move up into higher positions is, is going up and up and up and up just by the sheer numbers. And there's likely to be resistance to, you know, their advancement and progress through the ranks in corporate America. And so all of these things will continue to be issues uh, until, until society adjusts to the new realities that we're facing. So, 
Very interesting. So and I think too, with, <clears throat> with all these changes comes opportunists and people to take advantage of, of those uh, changes. And there, right? and there are people doing it right. <laughs> I mean, the, um, the internet has allowed small businesses who are smart to be very nimble, quick, and to start up businesses. There are more female, you know, started businesses and startups than I think ever before. People are coming up with new ideas, new apps. You know, we, we have more computer power than we can possibly <laughs> use. It's just a question of what's the app and how we're going to use it and how we're going to make life uh, better for people. You know, people are making money because they have a, a website with lots of visitors. And so they sell ad space on their website because they have a popular website for whatever reason. So again, that's yeah. another opportunity. That's another place where things can happen. And then think about whether the uh, people are selling clicks and impressions, if you will. And who's doing the click and impression? Is it a human being or is it a bot? You know, uh, so again, yeah. more, more interesting <laughs> issues in terms of what are you getting? What are you buying? What are they selling? What's the value of the company? What's the value of the service that you're getting as we move into a virtual world? You know, how do we how do we manage that? We're just not walking down to the store anymore and saying, I'll have a, you know, uh, let me have two Snickers and a bag of potato chips. Now we're like. Somebody Instacart. from Uber, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Instacart and Uber, Uber are delivering all these things to us, and they're built-in fees and things like that. So, what price convenience? And so, you know, things are changing very fast right now, and I think that that brings wonderful things, but it also brings the need to be regulated to protect everybody in the uh, new economy and a new society that it's growing out of this. I find it exciting, but it's happening so fast. I think that many people aren't keeping up. I, I don't know if you've ever looked at Congress and uh, any of the <laughs> hearings and seen, I mean, I'm an old guy myself, but if you've seen some of the, the, the ones in Congress trying to uh, say question some of the young internet titans and they, they yeah. barely know how to use you know, a flip phone. And it's really very embarrassing, you know, that they're so far behind <laughs> already. So how can they regulate this, you know? So um, that's a good point. Yeah, we're, we're moving in new places. So, Well, yeah, you're 100% right. I think you're only going to get busier. And uh, I'm sure your firm will be dealing with a lot of a lot of cases in the future. So, <laughs> well, oh, I am out of time. I'm going to have to jump. I have another meeting coming up. But Vincent, I really appreciate you coming on. I love what you had to share. Um, I could probably talk to you all day. This is uh, really cool stuff. It's something that's, you know, a little bit new for me. And hopefully a lot of the guests will, will get a lot out of this. And and that brings me to anyone that wants to hear more, connect with you, follow you. What's the best way to connect with you? Well, you know, my you can email me, vmcknight at Sanford Heiser. You can find me on LinkedIn. I actually get a lot of contact from people on uh, on LinkedIn. We have a website, sanfordheiser.com, so you can um, find us there and, and, and just search my name and I'll pop up there too. So, you know, um, I, I answer a lot of calls and emails directly myself so that I know people find my brothers find that odd they call and I pick up the phone and they say well, you don't have a secretary that does that I say look I figure they're calling for me so I might as well pick up <laughs> but anyway I I really appreciate it it's been fun talking with you and I wish we had more time to chat because there's uh, a lot of exciting stuff going on out there yeah again I uh, appreciate your time today and I'm sure we can connect again and yeah I, I could talk to you pretty much all day I had a few other questions that I wanted to get to uh that just popped into my mind, but 
<laughs> but that's fine. We'll have this up and for others to enjoy, and we'll hopefully get to connect again here soon. So, Vince, I appreciate it so much, and, uh, uh, and have a great week, weekend, much. and come to Virginia Beach again. We'll see you soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you very right, much. Vince. See you. Thank you. Bye. -bye. Mm -hmm. Bye.